welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. I'm delighted that we are starting out the new year with a conversation with Dr. Joe Lang. These episodes that we recorded are, I think, some of the best podcasts that not just that we've done, but that I've listened to. It's just an absolutely superb, outstanding conversation, which you're about to discover. So Dr. Lang, by way of introduction, very quickly, He's a behavioral analyst. He's not a horse trainer, but he has over 40 years of experience in the experimental and applied analysis of behavior. One of his particular focuses is on the design of teaching and learning environments, and that is of interest to me as well. In part one of our conversation, Joe defined contingency adduction and shared several just absolutely fascinating experiments that were done with pigeons. Pigeons showed self-awareness by passing the mirror test. They demonstrated tool use by using a ball to press a metal plate, which they could not reach, and they left themselves notes so that they would know what color key to peck after a long delay. And these experiments show that it is not a genetically based cognitive ability that determines whether an individual can solve a particular puzzle, but the component skills that are in repertoire. And this is true for pigeons, people, and horses, which means it's relevant no matter what animal you are training. This work is definitely relevant. In part two, we're going to pick up again where we left off at the end of part one, with Joe introducing a new set of experiments that are going to involve the manipulation of schedules of reinforcement. These studies are going to show us some more just absolutely remarkable behaviors that most people wouldn't think pigeons could do. All of these experiments came to show that the relation between behavioral components And then the kind of selective environments that could reinforce these patterns as they're emerging, maintain their behavior. So this is pretty, pretty astounding stuff. Pretty amazing stuff. So what we're seeing is the beginning of a type of symbolic behavior. Yes. If this were, you know, if this were seen in the wild, you know, I don't think any crows or ravens have been known to leave memoranda, but maybe. <laughs> and they, uh, um, you know, are engaged in self-awareness, maybe, but we know they could easily yeah. with the right procedures. Mm. So we began in our laboratory uh, looking at some other relations. And we're looking at what happens, Right when certain behaviors are made likely by changes in schedules of reinforcement. So in the past, this has been studied under what has been called adjunctive behavior. 
or schedule-induced behavior. Adjunctive behavior are those behaviors that are not programmed by the experimenter that occur as an adjunct to the behavior being trained. Okay. Or along with. For example. For example, a, a rat that's working for food is placed on a schedule of reinforcement. And it's a schedule whereby a timer is timing down. And the first response after the timer is timed down is reinforced. Responses during the timer have no effect. Okay. And so the animal, in order to minimize the inner reinforcement time, will peck like crazy as it's getting close to the timer. Right? So it'll start, yeah, it's getting close. It'll start responding like crazy. But after the food comes, it, it'll, you know, I'm not going to get, I've never had any reinforcer after my food comes because, you know, this timer's going on here. Yeah. Well, you'll get a, a low rate of behavior. And at that point, if you put in the cage a water bottle with a spout, that rat will run over and lick like crazy that water bottle, that spout. And actually, it will consume an extraordinary amount of water, much more so than it would consume if it were just water-deprived. Hmm. It will excessively consume water. And what this has been known, and this is by a gentleman by the name of John Falk discovered this, as adjunctive behavior or schedule-induced behavior. Okay. What was then found was that if you put a block of wood in the chamber, the rat would go over and gnaw the wood like crazy. If you put a running wheel, it would go and run the running wheel. So what behaviors the animal engaged in was a function of what it had a history with in the past. Yeah. Okay. Now, these behaviors weren't trained. They just occurred as an adjunct to it. Well, there's a gentleman by the name of Nate Azrin who looked at these patterns in relation to other animals. And Another, before we yeah. go there, I'm I'm sure listening to this that many people are thinking about some of the stereotypical behaviors that That's we right. see, the cribbing, yeah. the the yeah. excessive drinking we see, yeah. et cetera. That Largely could be explained by this. Right. Could very well be. Okay. By the way, you can select and reinforce those patterns too. By the way, once they get going, yes. So the uh, so it can be a source of of reinforced behavior as well, initial mm -hmm. source. But Davison Wheeler, um, before we get to uh, Azrin, Davison Wheeler did some really interesting work in the interaction of schedules and other behavior. And what they did is they took a rats and they put them in the same chamber. One on one lever on the right-hand side was one rat. On the left-hand side was another rat, pressing their le respective levers. When both rats were on a ratio schedule, so that let's say you had to press a lever 10 times for the food, and the more you press, the faster you press, the more food you got. Okay. Right? So the faster I can get 10, the faster I eat. When he did that, the rats ignored one another. Totally ignored it, right? Now, 
he took one rat, kept it on that racial schedule. And the other rat he put on an interval schedule. So that the amount of responding didn't amount to anything. Right. He actually then made it into what's called a DRL schedule, differential reinforcement of low rate. Here, a timer times down, like before, and a response after the timer times down produces reinforcement. But now, a response during the timer resets the timer. <laughs> so you got to keep your hands off the lever. Until so, the so, so if I'm a rat that's used to the, uh, the fixed ratio and I'm used to oh. touch the lever, touch the lever, touch the lever, now I'm being penalized for that. Because now, oh, yeah. oh, anytime yeah. I touch that lever, I've reset my interval back to. And actually, point. given a history of racial schedules, it's very hard to get that interval response, that DRL responding. You have to program it in a variety of ways in order to get it. But yeah, but we'll leave that aside. So, what does the animal do? Well, it starts walking away from its lever, and it goes and visits the other rat on the other side. Okay. And it reaches up and presses the other rat's lever. So they're pressing away, like, oh, okay. And the rat says, welcome, <laughs> welcome. If you want to press this sucker, please go ahead. And when it does that, that rat positions itself so it gets its food. <laughs> then the other rat goes over, finishes the interval and gets its food. In other words, it keeps the rat busy and away from its own lever, right? So it doesn't interrupt. So, but the other rat is very welcoming, right? Okay. Now they're both placed on DRL schedules. Oh. Okay. And they both wander around. When one rat gets close to the other lever, what do you think happens? Oh, they're going to aggress because they don't yeah. want them touching that lever. That's and right. resetting they, they it. Fight. They fight. Drive yeah. them away. So here it was welcoming. Mm. When its schedule was a racial schedule, the same rat. Now, when it's scheduled a DRL schedule, oh my God, stay away from me. Yeah. Mm. But at the top of the cage, at the other or at the bottom of the cage, some distance away from both levers, they get together and groom each other and hang out. <laughs> it's only when they get close to the levers. Mm. So what we're seeing is that these schedules are governing the social interaction between animals. Yeah. Right. And the payoffs related to the food, the rate of food consumption functions to alter the social behavior. So from ignoring to being very social to being antagonistic all depends on what the original lever pressing schedule is. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And it yes. shows you the power of schedules of reinforcement. And I think that's some of the things that are overlooked in some of the animal training world is a, uh, a lack of some knowledge of, of schedules because we what we don't realize often is that these schedules are operating whether we set them up or not. Right, right. <laughs> All the from the animal's point of view, right? Right. So, so Nate Azrin said, well, what happens if I have an animal and they're in a, in a chamber and another animal is there, right? And I shock that animal. Okay. Yeah, sure well, so, so which animal is being shocked? The one that's working shocked. The other one that's just hanging out at the back of the cage is not shocked. Okay. And it's not, it's just hanging out. 
Okay. He's not doing anything to anybody. No shock, the other animal's ignoring it. Now it gets shocked, an animal will walk over there and attack that bird. One bird will attack another bird if it's if it's shocked. He also found that if you now require pecking a key to allow access to the other bird, the shocked bird will peck a key to get access and go fight. Wow. So it's just, in other words, you can potentiate damage to the other bird as a reinforcer if you first shock that bird. So it will work to produce the attack behavior. Wow. That's pretty wild. Well, they then looked at, well, this is what happens on schedules where we're just using positive reinforcement. No shock. And here they take an animal and they put it on one of these interval schedules. And so a response during the timer times down has no effect. After, say, 40 seconds has elapsed, a response is reinforced with three seconds access to grain. Another animal is tethered to the back of the cage so it can't get away. And during that interval, that bird will walk over and attack the other bird. Hmm. So what they found is that when the bird is the object in there, you will get schedule-induced aggression. You will get aggression during painful stimuli. You'll get aggression during extinction. You'll get uh, aggression during these intervals. And particularly the fixed interval 40 seconds. For whatever it is, birds get really ticked off. (laughs) And a fixed interval 40 seconds and will attack the other bird. Right? So this is pretty well established as adjunctive behavior. So that's pretty cool. It is very cool. And I'm thinking again, in terms of practical applications, that people who work with multiple animals, multiple horses, really need to be aware of this so that they are not creating situations where they have one horse, one dog, that is suddenly aggressing towards uh, another. Yeah, because that could so easily happen. And remember, on a different schedule, they don't do it. So it's not the dog's personality. Absolutely. Right, right. It's right. not a personality variable. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> oh, that that horse is so aggressive. It's right. no. It's you've you've right. created a, a situation where those schedules are having their yeah. effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's very well likely. Yeah. Be. And you're scratching now, your head, saying, "Why is this horse who's always been so sweet, aggressing towards this right. other horse?" They, they or thinking, right. or thinking, it's about the hierarchy. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. here's another issue is that once aggressive behavior occurs, you can actually, or even before it occurs, you can shape it and it'll become full-blown aggression just from being reinforced. Mm. So aggression can be um, uh, shaped and positively reinforced. Asrin showed that as well, that he called that operant aggression. And their operant aggression, it, it is a function of its consequences, mm-hmm. not as an adjunct, right? Or it can begin as an adjunct and then reinforced. So you can have all sorts of mixes. Mm. So, uh, to look at adjunctive behavior a little more carefully, what we did in my, our laboratory, my, my dissertation was, I looked at, okay, let's put a behavior in place that is strictly an operant behavior, not species typical at all. And what I did is I trained pigeons 
to bang their head against a wall. Well, the pigeons would go over and whack their head against the wall. And I began by shaping the behavior of head-to-wall contact through a little, I put a, a clear plexiglass wall, so I'm sitting on the other side. I have a little plunger that, I, that I operates. And when it operates, the, you know, the apparatus goes clunk. So you don't have to have a clicker because the clicker is provided by the food apparatus. Yeah. Clunk, and then the food is presented, right? So I, through shaping by successive approximations, I very easily get that pigeon over there and putting its head against the And I put a little piece of black tape on the wall. And so so for the target, more for me than for the pigeon. <laughs> so I could see it. No one is And I looked at my criteria was I had to see full feather separation against the glass was my criteria. What happened was that not only did I shape head to wall contact, they whacked themselves so hard that they would fall over and literally walk around dizzy and keel over. And so I said, no, this isn't good. We can't do this to these pigeons. I had no idea that they would actually bang. You know, I thought they would just, you know, place their head against the wall. But no, these pigeons just whacked away. I mean, they whacked away at this wall. And I guess it was me making sure that I have true, was, I probably shaped it because I wanted to make sure that it was a clear response, That's right? That I, uh, so I had to see that clear separation. So to get that clear separation, they had to really probably whack. This is not a good thing. No. So, so quick earlier. <laughs> and there was two reasons it was a good thing. It was the preliminary work of my dissertation work. And I figured this experiment's got to run for a year or two. There's no way these birds are going to last a year or two. I'll never graduate. <laughs> number one. <laughs> and number two, well, maybe other birds. I don't want to hurt the pigeons anyhow. Hmm. So what we developed was we removed eventually, after a series of iterations of testing, we put a thin plexiglass wall in that would give mm. contact made to it. And we wove in a wire comb into the wall that had a wire at one end and a wire at the other. And then we put a little pad on the pigeon's head in the shape <laughs> of kind of a little Superman symbol that was Velcro. So we glued one part of the Velcro pad to the pigeon's feathers and put the other end of the Velcro pad, which had an adhesive on it, uh, on the pigeon's head with a nice big thick piece of aluminum foil. Okay. And when that aluminum foil touched those wires that were the wire cone, hinted that they had head to wall contact. So we had machine definition. It didn't take Joe, had, mm. didn't have to do anything. Once it was shaped, bingo, the birds hit the wall, reinforced. And we got good, robust, under stimulus control. I can turn it on and turn it off, head banging with the pigeons. So head-to-wall contact could be established with pigeons. By the way, that was the first experiment ever to sh shape head-to-wall contact <laughs> with another organism, other than what people do to their children, and the uh, <laughs> which probably happens pretty frequently. Yes, <laughs> but the uh, but in terms of pigeon animals, <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, the bird was do this well. Now we take and extinguish that behavior. So no more headbang is reinforced. Goes away as extinguished behavior does. You'll get a couple once in a while, but basically it goes away. We then take and train the birds to pick a key in the same chamber. Okay. And they're pecking a key on a, a wall away from 
the wall where they head bang. And it's, uh, you know, it's uh, perpendicular to the wall. It's not, not across, but at the end of the wall. And we can see this, we're videotaping everything because it's a clear plexiglass wall as well. And we reinforce, key pecking. No major thing there. Pigeons have been pecking keys for <laughs> decades by this time. Yes. And the, uh, uh, but then we place it on a schedule of reinforcement, which in the past has produced adjunctive behavior in pigeons. Okay. Right? What happens? Pigeon walks over and starts banging its head against the wall. Wow. wow. In other words, the historically reinforced behavior that had subsequently recurred under conditions which in the past under other behaviors has produced adjunct conditions that produced adjunctive behavior. We got adjunctive headbanging in pigeons. Wow. Now this headbanging is not reinforced. There's no reinforcement for the headbanging, yet it occurs. What's more is the pigeons would stand in front of that wall and do head-to-wall motions, bang, bobbing their head, bobbing their head, bobbing their head, and maybe every 10th time or so come in contact with that wall. So it looked like that it, it injunctively produced all this head-wall-directed, head-bobbing, and then hitting behavior that in the past had been reinforced, but now there's no consequence for it, but yet it wouldn't go away. And so, and so what we saw was that a reinforced behavior that is no longer reinforced could recur. In other words, you get adjunctive headbang, right? Yeah. The, what the impetus was this, was the fact that in many times when you're working in the clinic with someone who established a, a, that had in the class what might, in the past what might be called disturbing or pathological behavior, it goes away for a period of time, then the person has a relapse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what we're looking at is what could be the normal sources of the relapse and we looked at this as one of them the rate of reinforcement drops the behavior related to the new patterns falls in frequency historically reinforced patterns which were the disturbing patterns recur so it should be assumed that these patterns would recur yeah. not and it's yeah. a normal process it's not a not another sign of deeper pathology what was fascinating is that we did this for a range of schedules and DRL and so forth. But one experiment, we decided to see what happens if the headbanging came in contact with one reinforcer in a 60-minute session. So you got the key pecking, that's being reinforced on a variety of different types of schedules and interval schedules from DRL to FI schedules and so on. And then for the and it's a 60-minute session. And the first headbang mm -hmm. in the session is reinforced. Thereafter extinction. So technically it's called an FR1 extinction. Okay. So they get they get the first response reinforced. Wow. That's it for 60 minutes. They headbang like crazy through the whole session at very high, much higher rates. Yeah. Even, even higher. And they just kept it up. All it took when key pecking was on particular schedules, interval schedules. All it took was one reinforcer to take a historically reinforced headbanging response in a session, and they would just engage, engage, and engage in that behavior. Mm. Now, we also did an experiment whereby we gave them the choice. You can headbang, 
you get key back. And guess what? They never chose headbang. Mm. Unless you made, it was like five headbangs to 200 key backs. Then you mm. might get right? right? So this wasn't a preferred behavior. Right? Right, right. Reaction of these schedules that, you know, that we didn't, you know, we trained the headbanging before, but we'd never trained it to occur under these conditions. So one reinforcer wouldn't maintain headbanging in a 60-minute session without that other schedule being present. Mm-hmm. So the effect of that one reinforcer was a function of the reinforcement for the other patterns. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is what we call, by the way, a nonlinear analysis, but that's another topic for a different time. Yes, yes. <laughs> nonlinear conditions analysis, such that what happened, it kind of, remember going back to the, the, the Davidson-Wheeler experiment, right? Where it depend, the social behavior be te- depended upon what type of schedule is in place. Now, this disturbing behavior, this headbanging, was a function. <laughs> and the potency of the reinforcer was a function of these other schedules. Mm-hmm. Or a behavior that, given the choice, you wouldn't choose to do. So what you're seeing is some very complex relations. And we begin to understand that, so the pathology reoccurs. It doesn't take much reinforcement enforcer to keep it going if the alternative behaviors are under existing under certain conditions Mm -hmm. so uh again this shows the complexity of these relations all right well that was the that was pretty cool and then i suppose there's a sweet spot where if you increase the reinforcement for the alternative behavior the head banging will stop well Depends no. on the schedule. If you put a crucial schedule you're there, then you will not get headbanging. Mm-hmm. If you do a certain type of interval schedules, you get less headbanging. Right. You, you do a particular kind of interval schedule, you'll get a bunch of headbanging. Mm-hmm. So you can manipulate yeah. the rate of headbanging by the type of schedule for the key pecking. So you could see that the headbanging was a function of the key pecking reinforcement schedule, not its own. <laughs> all right but if you did reinforce it oh my god you got it like crazy hmm. so I, I published this paper actually in the journal of uh, behavior therapy and experimental psychiatry <laughs> hmm. published in an animal behavior journal because of its implications for clinic uh, the clinic and well, the uh as you're as you're talking i'm thinking about some of the horses that habitually spook at nothing no there's nothing that we're noticing but they are they're spooking jumping in training sessions and and i've watched i've watched how spook i've seen horses where the spooking behavior spontaneously occurs and then and then becomes like the head banging and it's as i think back over some of these scenarios that i've seen that's what we were observing. That's what we were seeing. Yeah, yeah it could be. And the uh, and it's worth investigating, right? Yeah. Not always the case, but it's worth investigating is the, is the point, I think, is what we're trying to say. So let's go on to another level now. So we know that you get schedule-induced aggression with pigeons, right? So Paul Andronis took some pigeons, and I collaborate a little bit on this, basically holding his cigar. Uh, 
<laughs> back in the day you could smoke cigars inside so we you know we were at a private university so we we you know pour a little bourbon smoke cigars and watch the pigeons so the uh, uh so it was a it was a fun put a little classical music on in the background and and the pigeons were in sound attenuated chambers so they didn't hear the music and they didn't have to smell the smoke they were in a different room so the uh so the pigeons were in good shape the humans were probably less that was good. but we videotaped all of this what Paul did is he took pigeons and he created an apparatus. Now, I'm going to have to explain this apparatus without the benefit of a picture. So we're going to have to be patient with me here. Yes. Because <laughs> it's quite an apparatus, all right? All right. So you've got a box. And the box is a fairly big box, plexiglass box, mostly plexiglass. The wall, the, the and the box is a rectangle. It is not a square, right? Okay. On the, it has a door that, I mean, the box is split in two. Okay. So there's two sides on the end of the same box. The box is separated by uh, two plexiglass walls that are V-shaped that go into a kind of a V from the door entryway to where the, there is a key to be packed in a food hopper. And this, the reason is for this is that there's going to be something mounted on each of these plexiglass walls. So each pigeon had to have its own wall, okay. right? And we wanted the pigeon from the V angle uh, to be angled such that it can see what the other bird is doing. Okay. Actually, V ran the other direction, come to think of it. It ran, it ran from, from narrow end at the entrance to a wider end at the at, at the wall, but not okay. that big. But the, the function of it was to separate the birds, allow them to see one another, right. and them. allow them to have each bird has access to his own set of keys, but cannot reach the other bird's keys. Exactly. Very good. Very, very good. And now at the at the end, at one on the on the facing wall, looking if you open the door and looked in in the facing wall. You would see a key, just a regular pigeon key, a disc, and underneath the disc is a food hopper. Mounted on the ceiling were um, lights. Okay. And there were three bulbs. <laughs> These are just little party bulbs that you get any place. It's colored party bulbs. And so one would come on, it would be red light. Another one would come on, it would be green light. And initially, the other one was a white light, right? So it would be red, green, white, so on. Or maybe it's yellow. I don't remember. But anyway. Three different colors. <laughs> the red and the green were there. Yes. All right, the, uh, there were yellow and white used in two different kidneys that I don't remember. And the, uh, um, and the pigeon, we took a pigeon, and it was put in the chamber and taught to peck the key. Simple. Okay. When the green light was on, the pigeon had to peck 200 times. Sometimes 100, sometimes 200, up to 200 times for food. Okay. He had to peck a lot. He had to peck mm -hmm. a lot. And he had no choice. <laughs> when the green light was on, you're pecking. Okay. When the red light was on, it only had to peck 10 times. Uh -huh. Again, no choice in the matter. It was experiment or determined. Yep. So you when really the... want to hope that the red light comes on. Right. Exactly. When the yellow light comes on, it was 50. Okay. It was intermediate. 
So it was like 150, 10, or maybe sometimes 250, 10, right? It was uh, quite a, uh, a difference. And they had this, they'd run this multiple days under what's called a three-ply multiple schedule. And they'd get these colors on the same day. So in other words, they'd be pecking away and a green light would come on. Oh my God. The birds actually would like, like you'd see them like, oh, oh, don't like this green light. Peck it on. Red light would come on. You'd see them perk up and, you know, that type of thing. The yellow, the yellow light comes on. They go, all right, you know. So you would, you would see different emotional behavior very clearly. What okay. people would call emotional behavior, distressful behavior, or happy behavior, if you will, I guess. Well, happy behavior <laughs> is still emotional behavior. Right. Yeah. You'd see you'd see what people would call emotional behavior. We don't okay. know what the pigeons mean. You know, right. It'd be something. But but if people were in that situation, this is how they describe themselves. So the uh, uh and we ran these three ply multiple schedules continually for a period of time. And one day the pigeon's in there and it's just green all the time. But it takes a step to the left <laughs> toward the plastic wall. In the plastic wall, there are two clear plastic keys that are about two and a half inches or so in diameter. But they're round and they're diameter bulbs and they're in, placed in the wall. And they're just they're hanging out there in the wall. And the pigeons not never interact with those keys before. One is near the food hopper, and the other one is located further away, you know, on the wall from the food yeah. hopper. So one key we call the near key, the other one called the far key, because one was nearer the food hopper than the other. So it's near to the food hopper is what we're talking about, and farther away from the food hopper. So now the bird takes a little step to the left, and the light turns red. Wow. <laughs> yep. As you can see, movement to the left toward the key is being reinforced. Yes. So you're shaping, moving toward that key, and eventually pecky with right from green to red okay. changes. Okay. All right. So this bird is like, oh my, right, red, red, red. So anything it can do to escape the green. Mm -hmm. right? So it's learning fast. So the green is there. Now it has the choice. You can go over and peck that green and get the food. All right. It's not a no food situation. But it's, what can I do to get do 10 rather than you know, yes. 200? So the so the bird eventually learns to pick that key. Now when it does so, it comes up, it's put in the chamber, the light comes on green. The animal immediately runs over and pecks the key. Turns it red, picks it up. Without has it, never does it ever peck out the green requirement, ever. Mm -hmm. Now, however, one day... It's in green, right? And he goes over and pecks the key. Um, no, it's in yellow. Where it's an FR50, comes out in yellow. He doesn't like that either. He prefers the red, right? Yeah. Now it goes over, pecks that red key, and turns it green. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. <laughs> the bird is expecting it to go down to the red. But right, in this case, it increases the workload. So now the pigeon goes bananas. And as you can imagine, it gauges in a variety of highly variable behavior. And it takes a step to the left toward the far key and turns red. <laughs> so now it's shaped to peck the far key. Okay. Which turns it red. Now the animal 
when the light comes on, the yellow light comes on, runs over, right, and pecks that far key. Now, once in a while, it'll deliver a peck to the near key, which will turn it green, but it continues on its way. <laughs> on to the far key, does not pick out the green. and Just turns check in. <laughs> right? So now one day, it's doing this, and now one day, it pecks the far key, and it turns it green. <laughs> evil, evil researchers. Yeah. <laughs> Bird moves to the near key, pecks it, and turns it red. Okay. So it begins to switch. If it turn, if any of the keys turn it green, it switches to the other key to turn it red. Okay. So what is consistent in all of this is the bird is doing everything it can to escape the green. The 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 green. The green exactly. It hates that green, right? Yep. So now that bird is taken out of that side of the chamber. And it's placed in the opposite side. On the, taken from the right side, let's say, and put on the left side. Okay. Now the keys are on the right side, rather than the left side. <laughs> right. And interestingly enough, the bird goes over and pecks the side keys without any problem. The fact that it's on the right side had no effect. It was which was we were surprised by that, by, yeah, by the way. Yeah. But the bird, yeah, the bird says, oh, I figured this out. Right? Mm. But here's the problem. When it pecks the near key, it turns it red, but on the chamber that's now empty, <laughs> there's no effect on his vigil mm. at all. So the, the box that the pigeon is in, doesn't matter what, how many, what key that it pecks on that side wall. It has no influence on changing nope, the lights. No, 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 no influence on its schedule. Yep. He's on this FR50, and that's what it is. Yep. Which and has to be even more frustrating because it can see. It tries to peck both side keys. Wow. It tries to peck both, and he sees the light changing in the other chamber. It's empty, right? He sees the light changing in the other chamber, it's empty. But he, um, it has no effect, so he quits responding. Mm -hmm. So it extinguishes. Mm -hmm. No more pecking the side keys. It drops out. Now, the animal is placed on an interval schedule. Right? Yep. Okay. The white light is signaling the interval schedule. And another bird is placed in, there's a couple other intermediary, intermediary procedures I'm not going to mention, but another bird is placed in the chamber. Now, this bird has been trained under that three-ply multiple schedule. Okay. If it's green or red, 10 versus 100. It has never had any control over any lights. It's just pecking out this 10 or 100. It'll do whatever is required, right? Okay. okay. So those keys on the sidewall, it has no experience. Don't have any effect. Okay. No. It won't change this bird's color. The only way that bird's color changes is if the bird on the other side, the original bird, pecks his side keys, it will change his color. 
mm-hmm. and schedule requirement. So what happens when you get up to the schedule that induces aggression in pigeons? Pigeons turn, the F540, a pigeon turns and r- jumps at the wall, tries to get at the other bird. It actually will hit with its wing, it wing flaps against the, the wall as it does. You know, when pigeons aggress, they'll actually whack each other with the wings and it jumps the wall, it does a kick, kind of a leg kick, kind of like a Bruce Lee leg kick into the wall. It goes pretty bananas. Well, you can't get through the wall. So <laughs> what it does is it looks at the other bird, walks over and pecks the far key to turn it green in the other animal's chamber. In other words, it attacks the other animal with the only way means it can, and that is by making the other bird's schedule worse. Mm -hmm. Engaging in symbolic aggression. Now, what's fascinating about this is it is now, well, work to produce a stimulus that up to this point it has always avoided or escaped. Mm. So the entire function of the stimulus has changed. We have an entire change in stimulus function. Mm. Yeah. As a result of this fixed interval 40 schedule. <laughs> so that schedule is operating and that bird is, is now there. Now, one day the bird goes in and pecks it green, and instead of green, it turns it red in the other bird. Oh, can't have that. Mm. What does it do? It switches to the other key. Mm. Remember, it had the switching repertoire? Yep. yep. You can even make it so that it has to peck, say, five times to turn it green. It'll peck. This bird could be altruistic. It has a couple of options, right? It can do nothing. Yes. Because nothing the bird does affects its own food schedule. Mm-hmm. Its rate of reinforcement is totally unaffected by what happens to the other bird. The consequences for the attacking bird are simply the attack, consequences of the attack. Right? Right. And but he will he will actually work to attack the other bird, yes. That's right. And the uh, um, and it's symbolic because he can't get to the bird and actually damage him. So one day we change things up. We take the target bird and we train it now that under the red light it's the aversive schedule and under the green light it's now 10. We switch it. But we can tell the the attack bird. And so the attack bird now goes and turns it green. Great. Get my 10. The attack bird goes bananas. What's happening? What? And it actually loses it. It goes a little berserk. It starts blasting away at both keys. It can't figure out what to do. Why is this bird, the light colors are there, the light color isn't matching the behavior of the bird. There is a discrepancy and it's making the bird nuts. 
that's not a technical scientific term, by the way. Right. But it, but the uh, but the bird is getting. So this whole thing falls apart in this. So we said the cat bird needs therapy. So we take the dead bird. Paul puts him in the side of the chamber now, by himself, that he's originally trained in. Only this time, the schedules are changed, such that the green is now 10, and the red is now 100. Okay. So it experiences that. One session. It's then taken back out, put the next day, put in its regular attack side of the chamber. The target bird is in place. The bird looks at the target bird, runs over and chooses red. The one that makes it. Okay. In other words, once it experienced it itself, it extended that to the other. In other words, this bird has shows everything that people would call perspective taking. Yep. Yep. And theory of mind. Wow. Right? So this bird brain is showing perspective taking and theory of mind in symbolic attack. So what do the cognitive scientists when they encounter this research, do they go well, crazy? A few of them encounter it, <laughs> actually. They don't read the journals that this is published in. But it, what's fascinating about it is that it is, it is the presence of these component repertoires and the histories you're giving the birds that account for the patterns. And these are highly complex patterns that we see that pigeons have never before engaged in their entire life. Right? Never. Ever. But the story is not finished. But I'm going to make you wait until next week to hear the rest. I feel a bit like we're listening to the science version of A Thousand and One Tales from the Arabian Nights, where we keep stopping before the full story is told. I'll leave you with the, but wait, there's more, cliffhanger. Remember, if you want to read the original papers that Joe has been describing, we've included references to them in the show notes. You can find those at equosity.com. Also, Joe referenced nonlinear analysis in the early part of this episode. To learn more about what this means, you can read his new book, Nonlinear Contingency Analysis, which is published by Rutledge Books and is available via the internet. So, until next time, when we get to find out what the more is, train well, and have fun with your horses. <laughs>